I've got enough material for about four weeks and I have about enough time for about a third of a week. But that's okay. Let's just do that. And then there's more weeks that follow. One cool little thing, one of my really dear friends um, is going to be with us next week, Rob Feeney. He's the senior pastor at Grace Point, which was Randwick Baptist many, many years ago. Um, church that's experienced some pretty significant moves of the Spirit. Um, he's a very dear friend of mine, but he's also part of our external board, that if Deb and I are, you know, being things other than we are or should be, they're part of the group that come in with lots of love and a few batons and uh, beat us into line. Um, and you haven't met him yet, most of you, so I want you to meet him and love him and um, he's going to dump some really good stuff on us. That's next Sunday. Yeah. Coming to an I-61, very near you, like right here actually. If you happen to have your Bible, let's open to Ephesians chapter 1 and I'm going to cover nearly the whole book in about 20 minutes. You ready? <laughs> and there is a reason. Let me... Let me um, let me set a little bit of context. And some of the context I was going to build into this point, I just don't have time to do. So we'll just pray that the Lord just gives that to you by divine revelation and I'll get to the, 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 the kind of chunk of it. One of the things I, I feel like, I, this is always happening, but I feel like it's um, particularly significant right now is... There is a war going on for the affections of your heart. There is a war going on for the affections of your heart. And it's a war that if you're unaware of, you will get played by it. Because it is wanting to tug. You see, the affections of your heart determine a lot of your behavior, whether you know it or not. I could even go into a neuroscience lesson around how you actually behave out of your emotions. But I won't do that right now because I have nowhere near enough time for that either. But this is why dealing with things like disappointment is so critical, because disappointment creates a landing place in our soul, in our emotional realm, where the enemy can come and mess with the affections of our heart. And when you're in disappointment, a lot of the affections of your heart are comfort. Make the disappointment go away. Make the pain go away. Let's do whatever it takes to not engage a situation where... I will ever experience that again. Yet, if that's what we do, we can know with almost 100% certainty we'll never engage a situation again where we will walk into our destiny. That's, that's the interesting thing about this because life is like that. And there is more to... Let me say, if we don't healthily process our disappointment and pain around things not working out, healthily, the enemy messes with the affections of our heart and, and just bit by bit draws us away from that which we're created for. Now, this is important for a couple of reasons. One is, see, even if this whole destiny, you know, discovering who you are and stepping into that, even if that was just about you enjoying your life and being really satisfied and fulfilled, that's good enough reason to go after it, in my humble opinion. Because the Father is good and Jesus came that you might have life and have it to the full. So to me, that is good enough reason to say you being fully alive is good enough reason to go after this. But there's actually a much bigger picture than that. And 
this bigger battle makes it even more important that the, this war for the affections of our heart is won by the true lover of our soul. This is why worship is so important. This is why, you know, we, we, were, we were going to be finished worship 20 minutes ago, but we didn't, obviously, because that will always, always be number one priority in this house. Um, I don't care if we never get to preach again, if all we do is worship, that is, that is our highest calling. And that, that will always be number one priority, um, always. As long as I am breathing and have any say in the matter, that will always be the case. Um, and if my wife has anything to do it as well, that will be doubly so. Um, so winning that, that war being won by the lover of our soul for the affections of our heart is important because there is a much bigger battle that is being waged. And you and I have been put on the earth for a purpose that's bigger than just ourselves, we, we are put on the earth to be part of an army that wins a cosmic battle such that the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That's a pretty big agenda. That's, that's very large. That's as large as it gets in, term, in earthly terms. I've been told before that I'm not dreaming big enough and I'm thinking, what, is there another universe I can take over as well as this one? I, I'm just like, I don't know. But anyway... Um, <laughs> This war is a spiritual one and the book of Ephesians talks right to that war. And this, uh, one of the reasons I love this book, there's many reasons I love this book, but one of the reasons I love this book, it was written to a church that actually took a whole city. So if you want to see some of the story, you can read Acts chapter 19 because it, um, it, it tells you some of the stuff that, um, that Paul and his cronies got up to um, where he where God did extraordinary miracles through the hand of Paul to the point where if you actually read church history, um, I think it was the Apostle John in the end that actually walked into the temple of Diana who was the, the goddess of the, that the Ephesians worshipped. And the thing with the captivity of that particular city is, was the idol worship and the economy were all tied in together. So the, the, largely the economy of the city was, was derived around selling articles and things of worship and all sorts of occultic things to the goddess Diana, who interestingly was the goddess of wisdom. No, she wasn't. Athena was the goddess of wisdom. I'm coming to her shortly. Um, but yes, yeah, she was... Actually, I won't go into the anatomy of what Diana was like because that won't be helpful. But um, let's just say she was a, a female deity and in the temple, all sorts of weird and wonderful not things happened in there um, that we would not really like to be a part of. But what happened in the end, the Apostle John, after this city had been, had reached its kind of highest point of touching this city, the Apostle John actually walked into the temple and said the words, I put you to flight, speaking to the the statue and the whole temple actually fell down around him is, is so the history books tell us, which I think is like way cool. That's one version of it. There may be others I don't know, but there, there, is, there, there is an account that indicates that that is the case. So this is a city that actually understands its authority in the spirit realm because in, a, in an environment like that, just going around with your two ways to live tracks and your four spiritual laws is not going to actually do anything because if people give up that God, they're actually giving up their livelihood, their income, the whole lot, not just going to a different church on a Sunday, if you know what I mean. There was a whole lot more at stake. 
And Paul starts to talk to this church about this particular battle that is going on. And they've, um, by this stage, I don't think they've seen the full victory of it, but he is unpacking the spiritual battle that, they in, that they're in. And the book of Ephesians introduces us to this place called the heavenly places or the heavenlies or the heavenly realms, which is actually the realm of the spirit. So if you have a look at verse three of chapter one, it says, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So he doesn't introduce what the heavenly realms are. He just says it's there. And we have come to understand that that is actually the realm of the spirit. And in the realm of the spirit, and this phrase, the heavenly realms, is mentioned five times in the book of Ephesians. This is the first one where it's talking about the father who, in, so if we imagine here is this sphere called the heavenly realms. And into the heavenly realms, the father has deposited every spiritual blessing in Christ. So if you can imagine kind of stars and sparkles or something in the heavenly realms for the sake of it, and I don't have a whiteboard. And if I did, I'd probably ruin the picture. So let's just use your imagination because that'll be way better. So in the heavenly realms is every spiritual blessing in Christ. If we jump forward to verses 9 and 10, we get let in on God's personal mission statement. Believe it or not, he has one. And it looks like this, verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring all things under one head, even Christ. You might say, well, that sounds really good, or sort of, or what does that mean? I want to read it in um, another translation, which if you're a Bible um, language lover, this is Kenneth Woost's translation of the New Testament. And basically what he did was he took the literal as possible meaning of the word. He didn't mess with the sentence structure at all to make it more readable, and he just threw it on the page. So if you're wanting to study what the original language is saying, it's one of the best English translations to do that with the New Testament. Um, you have to do some juggling because it doesn't always make a whole lot of sense. But, but this is what he says. He says, verses 9 and 10, "...having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to that which seemed good to him, which good thing he purposed in himself." Making a lot of sense. "...with respect to an administration of the completion of the epochs of time." To bring, and this is the word I wanted to pick out, to bring back again to their original state all things in the Christ, as in the anointed one, the things in heaven and the things on earth. In other words, the purpose of God is to bring all things back to their original created state prior to the fall. Does that make sense? That, that's his purpose. It's not just to get a whole lot of people to heaven because... That's a good thing. In case anyone's wondering, that's a very good thing. But actually, if you want to really get into a whole lot of apostolic eschatology, the direction is always heaven toward earth because at the end it says, now the dwelling of God is with man, not the dwelling of man is with God. But that's a whole other story. But he actually says, not only, it's not only making the humans in the image of God and getting them to heaven, but he actually says, um, the things in the, in the heavens and the things on earth. In other words, he's wanting to redeem the whole stinking lot and bring it back to how it was originally created in the beginning. That is cool. 
That, that, that is uber cool. And then we start to get unpacked as we follow this trail of the heavenlies through the book of Ephesians. We start to get an idea of just how he plans to do that. Now, let's go back to, so that we saw, first of all, here's the spiritual realm. Every blessing in Christ is in there. All of these things, all in there. Us are not in there yet. We'll get to that point. We will be very shortly, in case you're worried. <laughs> we will be in Christ very shortly. Clearly, I'm the only one who thought that was funny. You're still working. Only because I haven't got to that point in the verse. Not that we're not in. No, we're, we're, let me be clear. We're in there. We're, we just haven't got to that point in the actual verses yet. I'm getting to that. Not as in we are not in Christ. We are in Christ in case anyone is wondering. All is good. Everything is fine. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, that's good. Thank you for pointing that out. In other words, I haven't got to it in the verses yet. Not that we're not there yet. We are there. We just haven't got up to it in here. Help him, Jesus. Big time. Help you too. So every blessing in Christ, his mission statement is to bring all things under one head, even Christ. Then we go to uh, verses 19, sorry, verse 20, 19, 20 and following. His incomparably great power for us who believe that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Now that last bit alone is trippy beyond imagination. He fills everything in every way, like the entire universe. He fills all of that and yet he's in you, right there. That's trippy. That makes my brain go tilt. Not the subject of right now though. So what we have is every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly realms. And then in that place, we have Christ seated at the right hand of the Father above every rule and authority. And then and in that place, God has placed everything under the feet of Jesus. Got that so far? So they are, if you like, in the heavenly realms, they are the constants in the equation. That Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and everything is under his feet. Got it? Yeah. <laughs> Two constants. Then, if we go to chapter 2, verse 6, and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, not by works. And then it says, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. There's the destiny component right there. That we've been created in Christ to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. In other words, he wired you perfectly for it and prepared the way for you. So if you think you're worried about your destiny, don't be. Be intentional about it, but he paid a higher price for it than you ever have. And he's more committed to it than you are. So all you need to do is listen to his voice. But I want us to understand the bigger picture. So we have spiritual realm, blessings, and they're awesome. 
We have Jesus seated at the right hand. Everything is under his feet. The church seated with Christ in heavenly realms. That's trippy. Because that means if everything is under Christ's feet and we are with him, then everything is actually under our feet. Positionally speaking. Is this making sense so far? Now, we are then introduced in chapter 3 to the Grubelies, if you like. That is not a biblical word. That is one I just made up, like just then. Chapter 3, verse 10. I don't know. I have no idea. I think it's a noun. No, it's an adjective. It's a describing word. His intent. So actually, let me go back a a verse. Um, To verse 8, this is Paul talking. Although that I'm the least of the, the Lord's people, grace was given to me to preach the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God who created all things. So in other words, before Jesus came, God's end game was hidden. People could not see it. They couldn't understand it. So much so that when Jesus came, they killed him. Even though that fitted in with God's plan too. But it was kept hidden. And he said, but now it's been revealed in Christ. His intent, verse 10, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, spiritual realm. Blessings. Christ, feet, everything under, us with Christ. But then also in this realm of the Spirit, if you want to get in the second heaven, we're not talking third heaven, we're talking second heaven, the realm of the Spirit. We also have these things called principalities and powers. Demons is essentially what these are. Um, and there are, there are rankings of these demons or fallen angels in Scripture, which I have no time to go into right now. That's for a whole nother day. And the job of the church, seated with Christ, and so we saw God's personal mission statement over here to bring everything back to its original state. And then the how is that the church, seated with Christ, make known the manifold wisdom of God to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. In other words, there is this thing where we are now introduced, we were introduced to the Father, the first mention of the heavenly realms, we are introduced to Jesus the second time, we are introduced to the principalities and powers and the church the third time, and I'm sure I've missed one in there, but hey, let's just keep plugging on. Um, And then in chapter 6, verse 12, we all know the armour of God, for our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly realms. Therefore, take on the full armour of God. So what we see is this cosmic battle in between the church and the principalities and powers for our positional state. Because we are given this thing called free will, the enemy wants to take us out of the state that we are created for and that we are in positionally, but take us out of it experientially so that all of the blessings in Christ, which are in the heavenly places, don't get transferred and manifested in the earth because that's what's meant to happen. 
on earth as it is in heaven means all of those spiritual blessings that are in the heavenly realms don't just stay in the heavenly realms, they get manifested in the earth. And when they get manifested in the earth, the enemy gets displaced. And the more that the enemy gets displaced, ultimately the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. Are we making sense? Okay. The good news after this is we can just drink in the spirit a lot and just relax and enjoy because that actually stirs the affections of our heart in the right direction, but that's another subject. So we have two constants, one variable. Constant, Jesus seated at the right hand, everything under his feet. The variable is the position of the church in the realm of the spirit. Now, how do we make known the manifold wisdom of God in the heavenly realms? I do not have time to unpack that, so I'm gonna make a couple of statements about it and then I'll come and pick it up. Um, somewhere in the next few weeks. That word manifold is not talking about a part on a car. For those of you who are mechanically minded, which if you look at my hands, you'll see that I'm clearly not. (laughs) Manifold, the word in Greek literally means many-coloured or multicoloured. Now, um, the the best way I can explain this word, and some of you have probably heard me talk about this before, is um, a number of years back, I heard a guy speak who had... I don't think he'd quite had a near-death experience, but he had stomach cancer and was on death's door. Um, And he was taken into this heavenly experience where basically his whole stomach was completely recreated. He was completely healed. Now, that story alone is awesome, but the one I was really interested in was him talking about his experiences of actually being in heaven and seeing what it was like. And one of the things that struck me that he said was, there were colours in heaven that I have no grid for whatsoever. And it's that concept, when we see that word manifold, like in, um, in Peter, it's actually translated the word various, which is such a boring translation of the word because that word is pregnant with, like there is more than you could possibly feast your eyes, ears or any sense on. Like if you were to see manifold in practice, your senses earthly would just go tilt and you would probably faint in awe. That's just that one word. Wisdom is actually not just good counsel. The word wisdom, if you follow it through Scripture, is creative in nature. So you see in Proverbs chapter 3 and chapter 8 that wisdom was involved in the creation of the world. It says, I wisdom was there when the heavens were formed, when the earth was formed. And it also says that I was filled with joy at his right hand and wisdom is actually the party animal of heaven. Kind of like Tigger. And a whole lot more. So wisdom, I often thought, yeah, growing up, wisdom is like good counsel, but it's a tad boring. Like wisdom is the thing that says, okay, I shouldn't do that, but it's going to spoil my fun. Is that that just me or is anyone else? (laughs) But that's not what wisdom is in Scripture. Wisdom is manifold creativity. And that can be as big as literally create, you know, creativity in terms of the arts and dance and painting and writing and drawing and music and all of those sorts of things. Um, but it's also solutions to the problems of our city. And as we live fully alive as... Cre- as All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3. 
So the goal is the glory. That's what we're restored to in Christ is the glory. It's, it's, we didn't fall short of a good Bible study or a good church meeting. We fell short of the glory. But when we were restored in Christ, we, we are containers of the glory of God. And the idea is, if you also look at Isaiah 61, which is our core chapter, is we are a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendour. So us fully alive, demonstrating and manifesting the glory of God through us, displaces principalities and powers in the heavenly realms and opens up the realm for the kingdom of heaven to come and be manifested on earth. Do you see why it's so important that you are alive? And not just breathing, but actually fully alive? Because there is more at stake than you just feeling good, though I want you to feel good. (laughs) There is more at stake. It's only the salvation of the entire planet and the entire agenda of God with his people throughout eternity. That's all that's at stake. (laughs) Well, absolutely. I can do all things through Christ. That's, That's what we're empowered with. Now, let me find a spot to land this like right now. And if I can't find it, I'm just going to crash it. (laughs) Heavenly realms. Blessings. Jesus. Positionally, as the church, we are seated with him with all authority. We have the authority of Jesus. Okay, when Jesus said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, now go. It was actually a a commission that transferred authority, his authority onto us to go and be him in the world. And if you want to get just a tad more trippy, um, 1 John 3.16, I think it says, as he is, talking of Jesus, so are we in this world. Not as he was, as he is. And John was the one who had the vision of Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father, clothed in white. His eyes were like a blazing fire. That's the Jesus he was talking about when he said, as he is, so are we in this world. There is a glory and there is a fire that we are destined for, that we are yet to discover in fullness. We've seen glimpses of it. We've seen moments of it, but we haven't seen it in fullness And this whole thing of us coming alive is not, like I said, just about us having a good life, which is a great idea anyway. But it is about actually seeing the enemy displaced from the heavenly places so that this place becomes an open heaven, that our cities become open heavens, that cities, as Jesus said, become cities on a hill. Where there are actual whole cities that declare the glory of God that become a thin place where people just drive into that city and all of a sudden they encounter the Father and they start to step into the fullness of who they are and bit by bit the kingdoms of this world become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Let's stand and let me pray that God does something with that. Something, anything. Let me come back to where I started. There is a war going on over the affections of our heart. And the enemy wants to land in on our disappointment, on our pain, on our stuff, and pull the affections of our heart away from that which we are created for. Away from that original state of glory 
that we are created for so that our desire becomes of the earth rather than of heaven. And if our desire becomes of earth more than of heaven, we will reproduce the earth, not heaven. And the enemy goes, woohoo, gotcha, checkmate. Yet, what we don't have to do is become these moral Nazis that get all messed up every time we do the slightest thing wrong because he's dealt with that. All we have to do is focus the affections of our heart on him and let him bring us fully alive. See, he did it all. He did it all. But the enemy wants to take us into a place experientially that's different to our position so that all of that stuff isn't manifested on the earth. And I go, not on my watch. So Father, let's just reach out our hands, our hearts, more importantly. We just say today, as this community here, that the battle for the affections of our heart is a done deal. That you, Jesus, are the lover of our soul. That there is absolutely none like you. And Lord, we, just, we, we surrender the tug of war. We surrender the battle with our disappointment, with our pain, with our shame, our failure, all of those things, um, our brokenness that we wrestle with. Knowing that the cross has taken care of it and we just surrender to the flow of your heart. We surrender to your outrageous goodness and kindness that you have poured out on us. And by choice, we, we step into the experience of our position, which is every spiritual blessing surrounds us with Christ high above everything. The view's pretty cool from up here. I just want to speak life over every single person in the room. And everywhere that the enemy has tried to hijack conditions of our soul, our emotions in particular, we just bind that influence right now in the name of Jesus. And we just declare our pain, our disappointment, our brokenness. It's under the blood of Jesus. And when it's under the blood, we're free to process it. We're free to to work it through, uh, to work through the confusion, to, to be honest emotionally because we are hidden in the shadow of your wings where the enemy can't see us or touch us. But in that place, there's healing in his wings. (laughs) In that place, we become healed, we become whole, and the glory of God begins to pour out. And then Christ in us becomes our communities and our city's hope of glory. Jesus, just increase your presence and your life upon every one of us. Increase our awareness of you. Increase our awareness of your heart. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. And let us never forget that there's so much bigger picture than just us involved here. So we won't be picked off because we enlisted in an army of love and life. Yeah, in Jesus' name.
Amen. Amen.